barley, malt, corn, hops, yeast, ascorbic acid, and a slice of lime. Oops, sorry, wrong corona. This week, the final week before we all die. We'll tell you why. Spoiler, it's the coronavirus. But fortunately, we'll make it to the end of the week since council voted to increase road safety. And we'll have an update about regional transit. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 76. We're not going to waste any time off the top because time is limited. The pandemic is spreading. So we'll get right to the rapid fire. With the ongoing renovations to Galaxyland, branding the park as powered by Hasbro, other theme parks in the province have been looking at partnerships to increase their broad appeal. And with the overwhelming UCP elected majority in Calgary, for Callaway Park, the natural way forward is Callaway Park, powered by the UCP. New this week is a new ride called the Resource Roller Coaster, which will boast an immediate 25% drop, mirroring the price of oil this Monday. The park has done away with the idea of paying admission with cash or credit cards, instead requiring patrons to stake their pensions on the futures of oil sands companies for entry into the park. Though the Resource Roller Coaster has traveled to other parks before and has hurt people in the past, the park is crossing its fingers that no more than 65 people per day get hurt, Otherwise, they'll hit the new cap for their on-site physician. The Edmonton Journal has launched a new web page design. The new technology, PostMedia claims, increases their page speed by around 60%, allowing users to read articles like how to best respond to Greta's increasingly dangerous visions and in new social studies curriculum, there's no such thing as Albertans in record time. However, the Edmonton Sun did not receive an update, so users looking for quality post-media reporting like the articles Text Cancellation Entirely Trudeau's Fault and Edmonton City Council's All-Out War on Cars will still unfortunately have to wait for the slower page speeds. After the city reported 986 instances of identity fraud in 2019, the Edmonton Police Service is urging residents to, quote, keep their identity private. A constable with the police service's identity protection unit said, When I'm tapping into CCTV cameras to keep track of people moving around the city, and I see them leave personal information in their cars vulnerable to theft, that worries me. While 825 victims didn't report a monetary loss, EPS warned it's still important to protect your identity. Perpetrators can take over your Apple Music, or even worse, your social media accounts. EPS warns that Edmontonians should be very diligent about protecting their social media, as a takeover could lower the quality of the available data when it is crawled by their facial recognition database. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. And this week, we want to tell you about Snow and Tell, the Winter City podcast. You can't change the weather, but you can change how you feel about it. This podcast explores how the right attitudes can uncover the opportunities and potential in winter cities. Seems like pretty on brand for this podcast. No doubt. If you want to stick around after the show, we'll be playing a trailer after the credits of this episode. You can find Snow and Tell on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can also find it online at wintercityedmonton.ca slash podcast. So it's like the official Winter City Edmonton it's podcast. Legit. That's very legit. Too legit to quit. I... So last week... <laughs> dollar dollar bills, y'all. Andrew Knack <laughs> tweeted... <laughs> Speaking Municipally had a great 70-plus episode run until this week when Troy said, dollar dollar bills, yo, yep. and then effectively canceled us. Yeah. Well, we're still here, and I'm still saying things like that. Okay, ads out of the way. You can tune into that trailer after the show. We got to start with, where else are we going to start? 
it's the coronavirus. So we're a municipal politics podcast. I don't think either of us are healthcare professionals. No. So we're not we're not going to pretend to be over the duration of the show. But there's some like crossover between municipal governance and the coronavirus. We are journalists. We know how to look up information and validate Speak it. Speak for yourself. Maybe just give a primer of what are we talking about when we're talking about coronavirus as it's coming into Edmonton? Right. And the reason that I think we need to talk about it this week is, um, you know, last week we made some jokes in our rapid fire about coronavirus. This was prior to any Alberta cases having been announced. Uh, and since then, obviously, it's a very different story. So we're recording this on Wednesday evening, March 11th. And as of this afternoon, there are now 19 confirmed cases in Alberta. It's all travel related, but, you know, we'll come back to that. So, You've probably heard the word coronavirus and you've probably heard COVID-19. And so the first thing I thought we should do is just clarify the distinction between those two things. Uh, coronavirus is the name of the secure acute respiratory syndrome that causes the disease that is called COVID-19. So it's a little bit like HIV and AIDS. HIV is the virus that causes the disease, which we know is AIDS. So when we're talking about um, these confirmed cases, it is cases of COVID-19 specifically. For, you know, lazy reasons and uh, an ease of reporting, you will see both probably mentioned in the news. Um, people will talk about the coronavirus fears or the spread of coronavirus as a way to talk about the pandemic, which is, it is now officially a pandemic. This afternoon, the World Health Organization declared that it is a pandemic, which is interesting because there's no objective criteria for that. It's completely subjective, but they've decided that it's bad enough now that it constitutes a pandemic. It's got the word pan in it, so sufficient panic causes a pandemic? I guess so. We, uh, as of today, have more than 118,000 confirmed cases around the world. It's across 114 countries now, so it really has spread everywhere. Um, and already 4,200 people have, have died of coronavirus. Um, as I mentioned, in, Al in Alberta, we have 19. All of them are travel-related, which means they're in some way connected to people that traveled to other countries and came back to Alberta. In the Edmonton zone, we now have seven. Um, I think there's one in the central zone and the rest are, are all in Calgary. Um, the province has said, or Alberta Health has said, they can test, I think, up to 250 people a day. So far, they've completed about 2,000 tests. So if we look at what's happening around the world, it's pretty clear that it's early days still for Alberta. And it was only a matter of time until we got some cases of our own. And now we're starting to see some of the response. And it just so happened that this week was the same week that council was already scheduled to get a emergency advisory committee update. And they talked about the cold weather that happened in January, but also um, the spread of coronavirus. If you were tuning into the podcast listening, hey, I'm coughing and wheezing. What should I do? Not the podcast for you. No. No. Um, call 811. Maybe they'll help you out. But uh, we're, we're going to focus on the intersection of municipal politics here. So we had one counselor this week really drilling home that coronavirus is a significantly large problem for our supply chains and wanting answers towards that. Yeah, Mike Nickel, counselor. Uh, he Did you know he runs businesses? I've heard him say that before. Yeah, he's got some experience, he says. So his extensive business experience said, well, I've seen uh, supply chain interruptions before and I'm seeing it now. So what is our plan for this? And do we have a plan for that? No, not really. Um, <laughs> it was kind of It was kind of interesting because you know, this came up, as I said, about this emergency advisory committee, and you had the mayor talking about, you know, kind of making a joke about people stocking up on toilet paper and canned goods and saying that really what we need to do right now is wash our hands, you know, cough into your elbow, all of those good, you know, health things that you're supposed to do. On the other hand, you have Nickel talking about 
$7 billion worth of construction projects and a delay in obtaining materials that could prove pretty costly. You know, he says, quote, if this is about procurement and if material doesn't show up, for example, guys get laid off. So you've got to worry about the whole chain from start to finish, end quote. And I mean, he's not wrong. Uh, we do know that businesses are starting to be impacted by the spread of coronavirus. We know that politicians have made a show of going to have lunch in Chinatown as a way to combat the sort of uh, racism that has come up as a, as a result of where this um, virus originated. But I don't know that this was necessarily the right time to bring this up at council. Well, it was explicitly the wrong time when he initially brought it up. There was an update that uh, council was receiving about know their past uh, economic performance over the past year and it was just a general budget update right the year-end financials for 2019 they had a 20 million dollar surplus which with all the cuts uh, pretty commendable well we're not gonna congratulate city administration much on this episode but i will say city administration found a lot of savings in the budget and even with significant ucp cuts across the board mm-hmm. we still managed to come out pretty far ahead in the books uh, so kudos there so during this update that's when uh, Councillor Nichols started asking, hey, what's your plan for the coronavirus? At which point there was a little bit of like point of order contention. Yeah. And then Mayor Iveson ruled that, hey, we're getting an emergency meeting update tomorrow. Can we just talk about this then? And that's where it happened. Uh, so, yeah, he was not only maybe not the best venue in the emergency update, but definitely not the best venue initially when he wanted to bring it up. He just really wanted to make the news this week. I guess so. This was his quote in the news, his quota for the week. Um, We've heard a little bit about the venues and things like that in Edmonton. So as we're starting to see around the world, venues like hockey games and basketball games have now been, you know, you can't attend them in person anymore. These arenas are, they're playing before empty arenas. Flights have been canceled to all kinds of countries. You were telling me just before we started recording that the United States is grounding all flights from the EU or turning away flights from the EU. Yeah. So as we're recording this, it was just about four minutes before that uh, Trump had announced that the U.S. starting this Friday is cutting off all flights from the EU. So that's a pretty significant change. And I imagine we're going to see the same thing from Canada because we've got a pretty big land border. And we'll start to see the similar kind of thing happen with our facilities, right? Mm-hmm. So the the World Health Organization has said that it's a pandemic. They're alarmed by the, the rapid spread of this and the relative lack of inaction from countries. But we've seen, you know, some countries like Italy, which is now completely shut down because they weren't able to contain it. Um, versus other countries like Singapore or South Korea, where they have managed to contain the virus. So the the WHO is still saying this is a containable thing. And, uh, you know, hopefully the health authorities here in Canada and specifically here in Alberta will be a little bit more aggressive about that. So um, the police service has said it's readying public event protocols. So, you know, if the Oilers manage to make the playoffs for the first time in three years, which looks increasingly likely, it's very likely that none of us will get to see them play in person. Um, but other major <laughs> other major events that are going on and, uh, you know, these areas where lots of people congregate, I think you're going to see more and more of those, these things get canceled um, in order to try to contain the further spread of the virus. And the mayor basically said, you know, stay calm. All of these agencies and institutions are working well together. It's interesting. Uh, the agencies and institutions are working well together and events being canceled because there's a specific set of agencies and institutions running all of that that you've talked about significantly in the past. We have basically the EDC running the Shaw Conference Center and the Expo Center. And it's not the Shaw Conference Center anymore. It's the Edmonton Convention Center. It's the Edmonton Convention Center. But how do you think this plays out? Does this change any of the discussion around EDC and the new Edmonton Global and maybe this new innovation uh, organization that they're generating a report to perhaps spin up? 
because we've seen a lot of scrutiny for these organizations. And if all events are canceled, which really it's looking pretty likely like it will be, there's going to be a huge red write-off for both the convention center and Northlands. And I don't know that uh, the EDC or the convention center staff are really looking for that big snub black mark on their nose right now. Yeah, I'm not sure that anything will happen because of this specifically. It's early days, I suppose. So we'll see where that goes. You know, you've already got the federal government announcing, you know, over a billion dollars in funding pretty quickly to try to support provinces and and institutions and things impacted by this. I suspect you'll see similar things happen at other levels of government. I don't think council is going to say, oh, my God, look how terrible you did last year because of you know, nobody attending events due to the spread of coronavirus. So uh, it's probably too early to say anything like that will happen. You've seen how I uh, can use recordings from the past (laughs) to shove people's nose in them. We've got that on tape now. So in a year when we're disbanding the EDC... We'll play that back. Yeah, I mean, they've they've obviously got challenges that they, they've, they've got to work out, and we're expecting there's report back on the innovation entity. I guess one of the things you could say is that what we're seeing globally is an increase in organizations encouraging their staff, their people to work from home, work remotely. And you're seeing, you know, incredible usage on things like Microsoft Teams and Zoom and Slack and all these services, kind of furthering along the trajectory that was already we were already on around... Um, you know, information workers and the innovation economy is what we call this broadly. Maybe that'll just accelerate some of that happening here. Maybe it'll mean that we're further behind than we thought. Um, But I don't think it really changes anything from the point of view of what happens to these organizations structurally or governance wise. Last thing about coronavirus, uh, you can check out our health innovation roundup for more on this, but we've got actually some of the, um, you know, world leading research happening around COVID-19 right at the U of A. Um, We've written about that in the last two editions of the health innovation roundup. So I'll include that in the in the show notes. But that's a positive thing that's happening here in Edmonton related to a pretty scary pandemic. Sure would be a shame if all that research had an 11% budget cut. It would be. Um, Moving on, uh, the big news of this week, uh, bigger than a coronavirus? Well, locally. If you're judging by comments on CTV news articles, definitely. Speed limits are lower. Well, maybe. Kind of. I mean, we're going to get a bylaw back that is going to lower them in residential areas. Not as low as you wanted. Maybe. I've got a huge weight off my shoulders this week. It is now done. There's been a final vote. Council is done. I don't have to be pragmatic Troy or whatever. I can just say what I'm feeling. And (laughs) There's no vote coming up that you have to prepare for. There's nothing. I am just free. So now that I'm free, let's go back on a little bit of a, a history tour and see how Troy really felt the whole time. The first thing is that The end result this week was 40 everywhere. Uh, It's 40 on local residential roads, 40 on residential collectors, and 40 on certain areas of Main Streets. Like Jasper Avenue, White Avenue. Yeah, and only White Ave between like 99th Street and 109. The the White Ave part of White Ave. Right. Um, So it's still 50 kilometers by default because that's what's in the provincial transportation legislation, right? No. The way that administration was proposing these bylaw amendments be drafted was a charter bylaw saying in the city of Edmonton, 40 kilometers an hour will be the default speed limit. Hmm. So rather than paying for a bunch of signs because there's more residential roads signing everything at 40, yep. we do the inverse. We set the default speed limit to 40 and only sign the streets that are 50. Got it. Um, so the default speed limit in Edmonton would be 40 um, unless otherwise posted and we would otherwise post 
uh, pretty significantly. Right. So that's the end result. Uh, there's a lot of discussion about core zones, about 30 everywhere. And we all know from science that 30 is the better speed. And there's a whole lot of merit to being 30. I stood up at council and I argued for 30. I never expected 30. I talk about council for a half hour every week on this podcast we do prep i follow i knew they were never going to vote for 30 everywhere i was optimistic that some of them and we almost got the core zone it was lost 5-8 for the core zone vote but overall i'm not overwhelmed i'm not underwhelmed i'm just whelmed you did have counselor knack pushing for this he said quote at this point there's really no denying the fact that a 30 kilometer an hour speed limit is the right speed in terms of reducing injuries and death this speed has the greatest overall benefit for society end quote and interestingly to me i think they did ask for this right they did ask for the core zone so why do you think they didn't end up passing it that's a hard question, and I think you'd have to ask council that question. I think fundamentally it came down to two main problems. One is when they were asking for the core zone earlier in May, there were a couple of councillors that were treating it as, well, we're just asking for information, even though they were doing a little bit more than right. asking for information. They asked for a bylaw to come back, draft bylaw. Sure. Yeah. So that's one component of it where it was fairly non-committal. Um, there, there was an out for those councillors who voted yes before. The other big component and far larger is the core zone was sabotaged by city administration and the Edmonton Police Service. And I say sabotaged, fully understanding all implications of the word. It was intentionally and purposefully sabotaged. Administration was required to draft a 30-40 hybrid split. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't do that. They just didn't do what council directed them to do. And it's because administration wanted a 40 kilometer hour recommended speed. You even saw it today at council. It was Aaron Paquette in a phenomenal line of questioning. He's like, okay, look at all of this evidence where we've got playground zones. So 30 would be the most consistent speed. We have science supporting it. We have vision zero. Why is it that administration is recommending 40 kilometers an hour? And the end result was they hemmed and hawed around the question, but basically said it's because the police mm. said 40. Really? That hasn't come up before, really. Not that, not that clearly, I don't think. No. Well, so it has in private memos. In the initial discussions around this, when we were advocating at council before, there was a private memo that the police had circulated to council, mm -hmm. at which point a couple councillors started to bring it up and there were point of privileges raised and we were supposed to strike it all from our memory. Right. Uh, I didn't. The crux of the memo was that the police thought it would decrease safety to have a 30 kilometer hour speed limit because drivers wouldn't obey the speed limit. And there was no evidence to back up the police's claim. But then the police were completely silent. Uh, as core zone organizers, we had reached out to the police several times. They didn't return any of our calls or emails. And they didn't show up to speak at committee except today when the actual vote was occurring. Hmm. At which point the police said, we endorse 40 kilometers an hour and only 40. And so councillors tried to ask, hey, police, why do you support that? And they came back with two points. One was consistency and driver confusion. And two was complaints. So on consistency, they said, we can't have a 30-40 split because drivers would get confused. Yeah. In the media today, Jeff Middlestead, he's an acting investigator with traffic services at EPS. He said, quote, one continuous speed limit will create consistency for motorists and traffic enforcement personnel while promoting greater safety for residents in keeping with the overall goals of Vision Zero, end quote. And the, the officer was asked the question, well, we're keeping playground zones, so... 
wouldn't 30 be a more consistent, less confusing speed? Right. And his response was, no, we prefer 40. The other argument was about <laughs> complaints. Okay. Basically, the EPS said, we have to investigate every single traffic complaint we get and respond to each of those requests. And the substantially increased number of requests that we get for 30 kilometers an hour versus 40 kilometers an hour would overwhelm our resources. And I'm sure they have some evidence to back up the idea that they'd get more complaints. Citation needed there. And when pressed on it, the police officer said, well, you know, you can just sort of feel it. The trash coming out of the Edmonton police's mouth in this whole discussion, they came with no evidence. They came with no support for their positions. They simply said, we want to go fast. And I, I know in the backroom dealings between administration and the police, they managed to talk down the police because administration probably said, if you don't get on board with our push for 40, council's going to go 30. And then how are you going to go fast? Hmm. You're going to turn on your lights in the residential neighborhood? Nah, so support us. That's the backroom discussion. That's the admin sabotage that I'm asserting definitely happened. So this is some conjecture on your part. You think this happened, but that seems sensible to me. I know you liked the fact that um, interim city manager Adam Lachlan basically said, I, what we'd really appreciate is a decision. They want to move forward and they were pressing council to make a decision. I guess you like a little less that they made a recommendation that isn't in line with what they originally thought. And you think the EPS is the reason why? Well, yeah. Uh, and city administration as well. I don't know who pressured whom the hardest, whether it was administration coaxing the police, the police coaxing administration, or a joint effort. Mm -hmm. But the two of them were producing a narrative that just wasn't sensible. This is the discussion that's basically happening. Administration and police seemed to believe that it's politically unpalatable for Edmontonians to go to 30 kilometers an hour. They may be right or wrong, but political palatability is the decision of councillors. Yeah. They're the politicians. Bureaucrats should not be making political decisions. And that invariably was what it was because when councillors asked, hey, all the data shows that you're making a political decision here, are you? And administration said, no, 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 we just support 40. And they rested on their laurels. Yeah, you're right. That's not a decision they should be making. So I wanted to ask you this in, that, in the context of that then. We've talked on this show quite a bit about how administration runs this town, mm -hmm. not council. Do you see this as just a continuation of that? Absolutely. Uh, and even worse, because usually it's administration runs this town and council takes the backseat. This was a different ball game because the hashtag core zone wasn't an administration right. proposal. Right. It was a community-minded proposal. So from the outside, and granted, I wasn't in all the meetings, I... Julie took the lead organizing a lot of the core zone stuff. However, I got to see our messaging change through that as we combated administration. There was one point where there was long discussions had about, okay, we need to go on the offensive against administration who is actively sabotaging the core zone. So this was a community-led proposal and administration decided it was politically unviable, so they sabotaged it. That's weird. You had a counselor, Tim Cartmel, at one point saying, Quote, the core zone has solved this impasse, referring right. to the political impasse of lowering speed limits in right. different communities. So if you have a politician saying this community-led solution that has community buy-in, and the EFCL survey showed wide community buy-in, and the politician is saying this solves a political impasse, and then administration kiboshes the whole thing and directs it because of political unviability? And council doesn't call them out on that 
I don't know why council tolerates the behavior of administration. I'll give credit to especially Councillor Paquette this week. Mm-hmm. Um, when Adam Lachlan wasn't answering the question of why do you support 40 over 30 based on evidence, the councillor pressed him on it. And at one point, someone in the gallery angrily said, let him answer the question. And then Paquette's like, well, no, he wasn't answering the question. Right. I will let him answer the question when he answers the question. And I appreciated the pushback. I don't know why the rest of council wasn't doing that. Because even the people who voted against speed reduction, the Mike Nichols of it all, Mm. he still didn't get a win here. He still got administration pushing through something he didn't want, which was a 40 kmh blanket speed reduction. Right. So let's just go to the votes quickly then. So the vote for 30 kilometers an hour failed, as you said, 8 to 5. We had McKean, Iveson, Henderson, Paquette, and Knack voting in favor of 30. Any surprises there for you? Surprise? Not by them voting yes, uh, I was surprised that Councillor Essinger voted no. Okay. Um, she and the previous council, her and Dave Loken, were the Vision Zero councillors, the traffic safety councillors. She's a strong advocate of, you know, GBA plus uh, decision making yep. and looking at gender as a continuum in all of our decision making processes. And we know that vulnerable users disproportionately are women. So traffic safety is as much a woman's issue as anything else. And she was, in fact, just on Monday speaking at an event about how she needs to stick up for women's rights in Edmonton and how she wants to build the city as a fantastic place for women to live. Right. And then this was her vote. And she doesn't have a political upside to this. The other councillors, the Walters, who was on our side, and Cartmel, who was on our side, they're all running for mayor. They like, had other reasons, expressways and, you know. Yeah. they. I can understand why they are playing politics with this. I don't understand the upside for Bev Essler, and it just came off as she's weak-willed, flip-floppy, and doesn't have a political backbone. Hmm. Um, so that that was the big shocker of that. Okay, and then on the vote for um, lowering the speed limit to all roads to 40, which also was 85, but this time it passed, we had a predictable five that voted against it. Councillor Banga, Zadik, Katarina, Cartmel, and Nickel. Yeah, and there were no real surprises there. Um I knew, and I had said before, we were getting a speed reduction. Council had broadly indicated that. I will say the big shocker, because you're talking about these big votes, and then uneventfully, a third part of the motion passed, which we didn't really talk about much here. Okay. Jasper Ave and White Ave had their speed limits reduced. Right. This is the Main Streets uh, motion that had been proposed. There was a report that said we should lower it on Main Streets. Yeah. Because they're slow anyway. It came out of nowhere. In organizing part of the core zone, it was all focusing on residential because everyone can agree on that. We're not touching Jasper Ave and White Ave. That was our big messaging. Yeah. And then administration went and ha- hadn't touched Jasper Ave and White Ave. And like, I'm happy about it. I think White Ave should be slower. But councillors didn't even debate it. Why do you think they first brought it forward? And why do you think council just went with it? Um. So they brought it forward because it's a good thing to do. If you're actually looking at reducing pedestrian fatalities mm-hmm. and injuries, that corner of 109 Street and Jasper Ave right. and 109 Street and White Ave, those are the places you want to target. Blanket speed reductions, those roads are where you want to throw them. We as communities couldn't do it because it's politically unpalatable. Go figure. <laughs> Administration did throw that in. Could also have some more police there to, you know, keep an eye on people because those aren't exactly the most pedestrian friendly intersections the way they're designed. But that's probably why it was brought forward. Okay. I think it only passed because council had a busy agenda. 
They um, were fighting and they had to extend orders. This was already the second day. Yeah. yeah. And they they had a time specific at 1.30. They pushed it to 2.15 and then they pushed it again to like 2.30 just to get the vote done. Um, I think had they had more time, they would have belabored the point much longer, asked more questions and maybe even come to a different decision. Hmm. But they didn't because they were rushed. And in this case... I'm happy with that. That was a good thing. Okay, so he doesn't usually speak up. Did Mike Nichols speak up at council today about this? Not a ton. Um, he did He did speak a couple times, mostly to just ask questions. Mm-hmm. And credit to Mike Nichols, the questions he asked were pretty good. Um, they were all like very yes, no questions about, you know, some neighborhoods are different than others. He came to the conclusion based on all his questioning that we shouldn't do any of this, which he's wrong. But... He got there. You could see how he got there. And he asked some pretty good questions. And then after the meeting, he took to Twitter. Sometimes people have a win. And then when they get across the finish line, they decide to like take off their pants and moon the audience. (laughs) It's just like, take your win, my dude. Um, He tweeted after the meeting, quote, carpet bombing with one size fits all policies is like using a hammer to swat flies. Pedestrian and car safety is a shared responsibility. If council wants to bubble wrap up the city, Uline sells it $136, as opposed to the millions council voted to spend today for new speed limit signs. To which I say, hey, we gave you a non-one-size-fits-all solution. It was called the core zone. You voted it down. Part of creating the core zone was determining the boundaries. I live in Hazeldean. Mike Nickel talks about Hazeldean and Ritchie as these communities need speed reduction. Yeah. So I crafted the boundaries. I'm like, this is a political win for Mike Nickel. Yep. He's going to vote no for 40 everywhere else, but these communities want it. We're going to get his vote. And we never did, which is still endlessly shocking to me. He just votes no, though. He, he does. He does. <laughs> Speaking of voting no, though, in contrast to Strathcona County, everywhere else voted yes this week. That's right. The news on the Regional Transit Services Commission, it's now done. All of the 13 municipalities have had the opportunity to vote uh, about whether or not they wanted to participate in the commission. And all 12, except for Strathcona County, which we previously talked about a few episodes ago, voted in favor. And so the next step basically is to take an application to the government of Alberta to officially get this new transit commission formed. And my understanding is to kind of stand that organization up over the next year. Should we get government approval, it'll be operational by about 2022 is I think so, yeah. when they were saying. That's so, the prediction. Yeah, there's not really any updates there other than, hey, Strathcona <laughs> County is not included. And that's a pretty big gaping hole. Uh, yeah. They were slated to contribute about 26% of the overall budget. They have a pretty large fleet that's not going to be included in the RTSC. And some of the connecting routes like Fort Saskatchewan to Strathcona County probably won't be made we have uh, some questions a lot of councils across the week had asked the question well if strathcona county is not on board does this all even work and the uh the bureaucrats from ernst and young said yep yep it works they'll when they file this application they said they're going to revise the business um proposal essentially the business case for the whole thing to take that into account but as we've said before they could join again in the future like there's nothing there's not a, a binding final never revisit this issue kind of vote it's highly likely that it's just twisting one of those dials either giving strathcona county more control or give more savings to strathcona county mm. i think if either of those dials move strathcona county signs on it's just the business case isn't there for them we're going to close there because that's all we have time for this week of course and this is for you dear counselor knack we got to make the big dollar dollar bills yo here we go 
This episode is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your energy from. If you choose Park Power, your money stays here. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kosowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network as well, so it's a great fit. You can learn more at parkpower.ca. And that's all for this week. Wash your hands, cough into your elbows. If you want to learn about the coronavirus, the health roundup's a good place to go. Check out AHS's website. There's lots of good information there. Uh, until next week. Oh, wait. I said we were going to be dead next week. Um, if we are back next week, we will be Troy Mac speaking, speaking municipally. municipally. It's not a spoiler alert. Winter is going to be here for a good chunk of the year every single year. For some people, the very thought of winter is enough to send chills down their spine. But for others, winter is a season full of beauty, of adventure, of racing down the ski hill or snuggling by a roaring fire. I don't want to be inside during the winter. A season of contrast, light and dark, fire and ice, cold and warmth, a season full of potential. Part of the lighting design process is making the informed decision of not to illuminate something. If we have everything lit, then it just might look like a greenhouse where we're all tomatoes trying to produce work. And every day, more and more cities and people are coming around to seeing the possibilities of winter. The way that the city streets are being used is changing. I'm Sue Holdsworth. And I'm Isla Tanaka. Welcome to Snow and Tell, the Winter City Podcast. Together, we'll talk to specialists and thought leaders. We'll hear stories from everyday people, just like you, about their wintry trials and tribulations, triumphs and transformations. We can't change the weather, but we can change how we feel about it, how we design for it, play in it, thrive in it. I mean, we're all jubilant when we have a little exercise. We can hibernate or we can choose to change our thinking and actually plan to make winter a better experience for everyone. There is no such thing as bad weather. It's bad clothing. Join us as we learn how to make our cold cities cool. Find Snow and Tell, the Winter City podcast on your favorite podcast service or online at wintercityedmonton.ca slash podcast. I've learned over 70 years how you can get along really well outside in Edmonton, no matter what the season is. Snow and Tell.